After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. And John was also baptizing in Enon near Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all who are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, one of the themes of John's gospel is that Jesus both fulfills and surpasses all of Old Testament Judaism. For example, we read in chapter 1 of John's Gospel, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus. We read in the Old Testament that Moses turned water into blood as a sign of a curse, but Jesus turns water into wine, a wine that... Uh, comes from jars of purification to purify us from our sins, making obsolete the purification of the Old Testament. Moses built a temple, but that temple was destroyed, and it had taken 46 years to rebuild the temple that was then present in the days of Jesus. But Jesus himself is a temple, God dwelling in the midst of his people. And when Jesus, as temple, is destroyed, that temple will be built in three days. Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, and those who had uh, been bitten by poisonous snakes could look at the serpent on the pole and be healed. But when Jesus is lifted up, he will bring eternal life to those who look to him in faith. Jesus is uh, the one who fulfills and surpasses Old Testament Judaism. Now, John the Baptist came to bear witness. And in the text before us today, we find out that Jesus surpasses John. Jesus is the greater witness, the better witness to whom, uh, uh, 
who surpasses all previous witnesses, including John, who is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. By John's own testimony, uh, he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus is from above, and because Jesus is from above, he is above all. This passage is not about the rites of purification or baptism, the discussion of which is merely an occasion or a catalyst to bring out the more important point of the relative stature of Jesus and John the Baptist, namely that Jesus far exceeds John in importance, for he provides a much greater witness to the truth of God, speaking the very words of God from heaven. Because Jesus above, is above all, is from above, he indeed is above all. Now we want to take note of this in this passage, first of all, that Jesus has a, a continuing Judean ministry. And uh, then secondly, see what uh, John the Baptist says about Jesus. And then thirdly, what John the Evangelist uh, says about Jesus. First of all, Jesus' Judean ministry. Uh, Jesus had been up north in Galilee, in Cana of Galilee, where he attended a wedding, and, uh, but then he went south to Jerusalem and to Judea. Ju- uh, Jerusalem is in the province of uh, Judea. He had gone there for the Passover. He had uh, driven out the money changers from the temple. He had met with uh, one of the uh, great teachers of Israel named Nicodemus and taught him about the necessity of the new birth and the saving love of God for a world uh, uh, that is uh, lost in sin, a love that sends light into darkness, a light that draws some people to it and repels others. But now before returning north to Galilee, he spends some more time in the Judean countryside. And John the Baptist was also in the Judean countryside near uh, Enon, which uh, is a word that uh, Aramaic word that means springs. There's a lot of water there, uh, springs of water. And so uh, John is spending some time in the same district, not necessarily the same place, but the same district as Jesus. And uh, this gives John's disciples opportunity to hear reports about Jesus. Since they're in the same district, uh, communication can travel back and forth easily between uh, the group following Jesus and the group following John the Baptist. And John the Baptist uh, hear about that. And uh, on the occasion of a dispute between John's disciples and some of the Jews about purification, about baptism, they may have been questioning uh, John's disciples about, you know, why is your master uh, baptizing and so forth. We're not told what the dispute was, but uh, uh, as a result of this, John's disciples come to John and uh, begin to uh, express concern about Jesus. Jesus is attracting larger crowds than John. And Jesus is baptizing more disciples, although in the very next chapter, in the second verse of chapter 4, we read there, it says, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. So uh, John uh, clarifies what he says in chapter 3, he clarifies it in chapter 4, so that we understand that John the Baptist is baptizing, and Jesus' disciples are baptizing, but 
the, the, the baptisms that are happening where Jesus is are outnumbering the baptisms of John the Baptist. Uh, and so there is uh, concern. Now, we need to think about this uh, baptism for a moment. John had called people to repent, and when they did, he baptized them. And Jesus also was calling people to repent. Repent for the kingdom is at hand is one of the ways in which Jesus' message is summarized, uh, particularly at the beginning of Mark's gospel. So uh, both are calling people to repentance, and both are uh, administering a, a baptism with water. The uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit, of which John said Jesus would baptize, doesn't begin until Pentecost. So this is still a, an Old Testament rite of purification, similar to that which the Jews had to practice before they could come to the temple or the tabernacle. Uh, whenever God would come into uh, the midst of Israel in the Old Testament, for example, at Mount Sinai, uh, God said to Moses, tell the people to, to wash themselves before uh, I come down on the mountain. And they were all to stand around the mountain as Moses went up on the mountain. But before that happened, there had to be a ceremonial washing because they're about to meet with God. And uh, Jesus is God coming and dwelling among us. And before we meet uh, with him, it says uh, you need uh, this kind of ceremonial washing. This isn't the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's, but rather it's a ceremonial cleansing in preparation for the coming of Jesus into the midst of his people. Uh, John's uh, baptism and Jesus' baptism is similar to those ceremonial washings of the Old Testament. Jesus' baptism uh, with the Holy Spirit is more akin to uh, circumcision, the sign of entering into the covenant with God. And I, I point that out because it's, uh, some people look at the baptism of John the Baptist and the baptism being done by Jesus' disciples and say, look, uh, these people were called to repentance, and after they repented, then they were baptized. And therefore, baptism today should only be given to those who first repent. In other words, this is the argument of those who are against infant baptism. They point to these baptisms and say, they say, see, repentance has to come first. But we need to recognize that there were different kinds of baptisms. In fact, there's a verse in uh, Hebrews chapter 9 that says there are all kinds of ceremonial washings. And the Greek word in Hebrews 9 for washings is the word baptismos. There are all kinds of ceremonial baptisms in the Old Testament. And they should not be confused with New Testament baptism in the Holy Spirit that uh, replaces circumcision. That uh, is entirely different, and therefore there's no analogy here by which we can point and say uh, you have to repent before you can receive New Testament baptism. The main point, however, is that uh, the comparison between John and Jesus uh, gives rise now to John the Baptist's final witness about Jesus. Uh, John's disciples are seemingly jealous concerning Jesus' growing popularity. They come and say, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's, he baptizing, he's baptizing and all are going to him. Uh, they're, they're concerned for the honor of their master, uh, their rabbi, uh, John the Baptist. 
John's disciples seemed to take the view that since John's ministry was prior to Jesus' ministry, uh, because Jesus had been dependent upon John for uh, Jesus' introduction, uh, Jesus came to John, so to speak, to be validated and and uh, to be inaugurated into his work, that that somehow made John's uh, ministry more important than Jesus's ministry. After all, uh, Jesus had not been the one to validate John. John had been the one to validate Jesus. So John should be the superior one. At least that's what these disciples seem to be thinking. Evidently, John's disciples had not paid careful attention to the content of John's witness. Uh, John uh, reiterates again that he is not the Christ, but was sent before him, that he was sent in front of him to prepare the way for him. And his final word on the matter is, he must increase and I must decrease. That uh, should be the motto of every minister of the gospel and everyone involved in the work of the church. Uh, We're here not to draw attention to ourselves, but to point to Jesus, who is greater and uh, who is the Savior and Lord to whom all should come. John had one main purpose, uh, to point us all to Jesus. He's the one on whom he saw the Spirit descend. Jesus is the one about whom he heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. Jesus is the one who came after him but was before him, meaning Jesus is eternal. Uh, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so uh, we should listen to John, but then move on to follow Jesus. John the Baptist illustrates uh, his relationship to Jesus with an analogy or a a mini parable. He's the friend of the bridegroom who rejoices to see the bridegroom united with his bride and then fades from the picture. John most certainly was aware that there are several Old Testament passages such as Isaiah 62 or Jeremiah 2 or Hosea 2, several Old Testament passages that describe Israel as God's bride and uh, aware that Israel is God's bride he he applies that to, to himself and says uh, I'm not the the bridegroom <laughs> I'm the friend of the bride and I'm here to to bring the the groom the bridegroom and the bride t- together uh, the crowds uh, coming to Jesus are his bride they belong to him uh, to, they belong to Jesus not to John Uh, And this is a very strong witness about Jesus. What John is saying here is the Old Testament says that Israel is God's bride. And now John is saying Israel is Jesus' bride. Well, if God and Jesus have the same bride, what does that say about God and Jesus? It creates a very close identity that Jesus indeed is the, uh, the, the Lord of the Old Testament to whom Israel uh, was a bride. And now he has come to, uh, to claim his bride and to sanctify his bride and so forth. Uh, John the Baptist says that his joy is fulfilled to see Israel following Jesus. His God-given ministry has, has been successful. He does not need the acclaim of the crowds to be the center of attention. He doesn't need uh, fame or fortune. His, his joy is to know that he has fulfilled his role that God has given him. 
His joy is embracing God's will that he fade away and that Jesus receive the supremacy, uh, an attitude that should be the attitude of all the servants of God and an attitude which is really at the heart of Christian piety that whatever role God has given me, it doesn't have to be a, a one that's out in the public in, in a prominent place, but whatever humble role he has given me, if I know that I can fulfill that role and bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ, then my joy is full. Some have speculated, and I, I think there is good foundation for such speculation, that John the Evangelist uh, includes this final testimony from John the Baptist to stamp out or prevent any from making John the Baptist a cult hero with perpetual disciples down through the ages. That sort of uh, uh, happened a little bit. We read about it in the book of Acts. In Acts 18, we read that when uh, Priscilla and Aquila first met Apollos, he knew only the baptism of John. And in the next chapter, Acts 19, Paul meets 12 men in Ephesus who knew only the baptism of John and did not know there was a Holy Spirit. In other words, there were people in the New Testament church after Pentecost who knew more about John than they knew about Jesus, who knew very little about Jesus but did know about John. And uh, uh, it, uh, it could have well uh, become the case that John would be a cult hero and uh, especially his ascetic lifestyle become the focus of some people's religion. But because we have this passage here in John's gospel that has generally uh, not happened and uh, we see that uh, people turned their attention not to John the Baptist but uh, to Jesus Christ. After John says, uh, John the Baptist says, uh, he must increase, but I must decrease, then there is a, a shift in the text from first person to third person, and the, uh, from a specific uh, testimony to a more general testimony. And because there is this shift from first person, uh, where John the Baptist says, I must decrease, he's speaking in the first person, to the next verse, verse 31, where he talks about uh, he who, uh, uh, who's from the earth, uh, speaking of himself in the third person, or uh, he is being referred to in the third person in the verses following. Uh, it's generally understood that, that now... John the Evangelist is uh, taking over at verse 31 through, the, through verse 36. However, if anybody wants to read this as uh, John the Baptist continuing to speak, it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference. The meaning doesn't change whether it's uh, John the Baptist uh, enlarging upon what he has just said or John the Evangelist adding his comments as to why Jesus is superior. But regardless... Uh, scripture at this point uh, enlarges on the subject of the superiority of Jesus. Remember I began by saying Jesus is seen as the one who fulfills and surpasses the Old Testament and that general theme is, is being brought forward in these last verses of our text today. Uh, there is a contrast between he who is from above and he who is from the earth. He who is from above is from heaven. 
He's the one God has sent. He is the, the son whom the Father loves. The one who is from the earth, uh, I believe, refers to John the Baptist, although it can also apply to all the, bap- all the prophets who preceded John the Baptist. And the contrast is not merely to, to their origin, but to their speech. He who is from above bears witness to what he has seen and heard in heaven. No one has ever seen God as he is in himself, but, but the one who is from heaven has seen God. And he has also heard all that God has ever said, for he has uh, the spirit without measure. Uh, the prophets who are from the earth have a measure of the spirit according to their particular calling, but he who has, uh, is from above has the spirit without measure. This makes uh, the witness of him who is from above far superior, not, the witness, uh, the, not that the witness of those who is from the earth is wrong, but rather, uh, Jesus is uh, the exact representation of the Father. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in him in bodily form. Uh, Jesus can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Every earthly messenger is only limited to what he's been told. Uh, and uh, what he has been told is indeed finite and limited. But Jesus has uh, infinite knowledge of the Father because he himself is divine. To put it in somewhat uh, mundane, but perhaps uh, more understandable terms, listening to Jesus is like getting a, an eye-in-the-sky traffic report. You know, in all our major cities, uh, there are uh, traffic reports on the radio or on uh, an app on your phone that come from a helicopter up in the sky. And uh, that uh, helicopter up in the sky can see the whole situation. When you're driving in heavy city traffic, you can, you can get a, an accurate picture of what's around you. You have true knowledge of what's going on around you, but only what's going on just around you. You don't have the big picture. Uh, the eye in the sky, that, that has the big picture, and, and you would be foolish if you're in uh, heavy city, city traffic and trying to determine the, the right way to go to uh, get to your destination as quickly as possible. You'd be foolish to, to ignore the eye in the sky report. They can be very helpful in, in giving you the big picture. Well, uh, just uh, so... Uh, Just as it would be foolish to ignore that eye in the sky, it is very foolish, even more foolish, to ignore Jesus uh, and uh, his superior witness to uh, all that uh, is God's will for us. Jesus is the ultimate witness to the truth uh, about everything, including and especially the truth about you and me. You know, our lives are sometimes like a... uh, a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle where many of the pieces are very close in color and shape. Uh, Sometimes it's impossible for us to make sense out of all the various elements of our lives. Uh, If you don't think your life is a puzzle, it's because you haven't lived very long. Uh, Live uh, into adolescence and adulthood, and you'll find far more questions than there are answers. And uh, most of the time we end up ignoring a lot of the questions because it just becomes too much to deal with. We have to focus on the few pieces of our lives that we we can understand. But Jesus comes with wisdom from God to to help us, to lead us, to guide us, to comfort us, to console us. Uh, To ignore him or reject him is to to choose to, 
to live in the shadows and to uh, live in, in darkness and confusion. Perhaps it would be better to say that uh, Jesus is, uh, that our lives are, are more like a, a good mystery novel. You know, a, a whodunit. Uh, when you read a mystery novel, there's all kinds of information thrown out about different characters. And it's very hard, uh, the author makes it, makes it hard to figure out who the guilty party is. But there is one person who knows. <clears throat> it's either the, the all-seeing, all-knowing author who at the end uh, reveals who did it, or the author creates a character who is, has special powers, almost supernatural powers, uh, uh, powers of observation and powers of deduction like uh, Miss Marple or Sherlock Holmes uh, seem to have these uh, uncanny powers greater than, than the rest of uh, mortal human beings. And uh, so they are able to, to figure it out. Well, uh, Jesus is the, the all-seeing author. He's the one with special powers who understands better than, than everyone else. And to reject his uh, testimony is to, to live in an unsolved mystery. It's to live in bafflement and ignorance. But the sad truth is that many people just uh, do just that. They, they reject the testimony of Jesus uh, the testimony of the only one who with authority can bring clarity to our lives. Now, why, why would people reject Jesus? Well, because uh, he shows us that we're the bad guys in the novel. We're the ones with a bad character. We're the ones who are the guilty ones. Uh, people are happy to receive Jesus as a miracle worker who will... Uh, snap his fingers, wave his hand, and make everything right again. Uh, we, uh, in a month or two, there's uh, a team of uh, religious leaders coming to uh, Pella to uh, teach you how to work miracles and how to gain the gift of healing for yourself and for others. And, and people are willing to pay $100 to to, to learn how to do that. They, they, they would love to have Jesus' miraculous powers to, to bring healing. And uh, so uh, that, that's a very popular thing that, that tickles people's ears, and they're willing to pay big money to, to learn that sort of thing. And, and there are people who are happy to uh, look to Jesus as one who teaches morality, how we can improve ourselves. Uh, he, he gives us an example, and if we follow his example, uh, we can improve ourselves. But uh, Jesus also... Uh, is the one who says you're a sinner, <laughs> a sinner who cannot save yourself, a sinner who uh, is dependent upon uh, charity to gain your life back again. You have to confess your weakness, confess your sin, and rely upon him and him alone. He's the one who says no longer live for self, but live for him who gave himself for you. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And because of that, uh, there are those who don't want to receive his testimony. Our text says uh, in John 3 verse 32, no one receives his testimony. But thankfully that, that no one is not absolute. Uh, it's not final. 
We read the same sort of thing in John chapter 1 where it says the world did not know him and his own did not receive him. But then it goes immediately on to say, yet as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And the same is true here. We know that whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that, that God is true. There are some who do receive the testimony. And so the question that is before you today is this. Have, have you received the testimony of Jesus? Have you set your seal on it? Which means, have you made it uh, that which binds you? Uh, to acknowledge that everything that God says is true and that you're obligated to, to follow him. To receive the testimony of Jesus does not mean that, well, I'll give this Christianity a try and see if it works for me. If it works for me, fine, but if it doesn't work for me, well, uh, no harm in trying. No, to receive the testimony of Jesus, to set your seal on it, is to, to make a commitment to commit your way to Him, to acknowledge Him in all your ways. Uh, now, this is not legalism because commitment to Jesus is commitment to the gospel, the gospel that we are saved not by what we do and not by the commitments we make, but we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. But many of you might say, well, I think I've done that. I, I think I have committed my way to the Lord Jesus Christ. I acknowledge Him in all my ways. But, you know, I still find life very confusing. I still find life a great mystery. And uh, there's all kinds of trouble and, and in my life that I, I wish Jesus would, would solve for me. Well... It means setting your seal on, on his testimony, receiving it is, is like saying, uh, for, is like a husband saying to his wife, I love you. It's not something you do just once. <laughs> it's, it's something you need to do again and again, and it's something you need to do with ever-increasing fervor and ever-increasing uh, emotion. It's something that ought to grow continually. And so it is with receiving the, the testimony of Jesus Christ. You need to let the Word of God dwell in you richly. You need to exhort one another every day so that you don't become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You need to read His Word, study His Word, pray His Word into your life. Learn not, lean not unto your own understanding, says the Proverbs, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. He is the bridegroom. You are the bride. Submit your life to him by submitting to his word as the rule for your life. The alternative is clear. The last verse of our text says to not believe, to remain uncommitted, to remain aloof, to be undecided means you still shall not, you shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on you. But he who believes already has eternal life. Now there still is to come a great change when Christ comes again at the, the parousia, the glorious second coming of Jesus Christ. Then 
Christ will usher in the fullness of eternal life and the fullness of condemnation for the wicked. But already now, if you believe Jesus, if you commit your way to him, if you receive his testimony and receive it day by day with ever increasing uh, love for him as your bridegroom, even now you are assured you have eternal life. And if you today remain aloof to the Word of God, if you say, well, this is not something for me, then already now you are under condemnation, under the wrath of God. The only way to life is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage which shows us Jesus as the superior witness. John came to bear witness, and we're thankful for his witness, but Jesus is the greater witness. And so let us turn our hearts to follow him and to receive his word into our lives, to receive that word daily, to not be cold and indifferent to the Bible, not let it get dust on the shelf, but to be people of the book. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.